What's up, y'all? It's Zach from Living Corporate Network. I got some good news. I got some great news. Then I got, got, got some sad news, okay? So, if you didn't know, Living Corporate has been partnering with Accenture to present to y'all a leadership series, okay? These are the most experienced North American black and brown managing directors, okay? This is what I'm saying. If you look at North America for Accenture and you were to say, hmm, where are all the executive leaders who are black and brown? And like, who's the most senior in that group? And what are their stories? Living Corporate would be able to say, oh, you mean these people right here? We got them. So that's the good news. That's the great news. The sad news is this is the last entry for now um, of this leadership series. Okay. And uh, my hope is that you, first of all, of course, you listen to this one, but you listen to all of them because we've been honored to have some amazing guests. And our last guest is no less amazing. Tamara Fields. Tamara Fields is the Austin office managing director at Accenture, where she's responsible for bringing innovation to clients, recruiting and retaining top talent and strengthening Accenture's relationship with the community. She has over 20 years of experience in the health and public service sector, driving creative, strategic and transformative solutions for federal and state government clients via multilateral project management, contract management and HR and financial transformation. My goodness gracious, Sam, man, give me the flex bomb. Just give it to me right here. My goodness gracious, an advocate for inclusion and diversity, Tamara serves as the U.S. co-lead for Accenture's Women's Employee Resource Group and the inclusion and diversity lead for the Accenture office in Austin. Tamara also serves as a coach and mentor in and outside of Accenture, helping people find their voice and preparing them for career advancement. She speaks at conferences and summits like Culturati and Texas Conference for Women and has been recognized with the 2018 Coach Central Texas Diversity First Award for a commitment to IND. She is Accenture's executive recruiting sponsor for her alma mater, the University of Texas, and sits on the Red McComb School of Business Advisory Council, as well as the boards of the Texas Conference for Women and Paul Quinn College, a historically black college in Texas. So shout out to our historically black colleges in Dallas. So I'm going to go ahead and put the uh, air horns right here. And I'm going to give you that Cardi B Ow! right here as well, Ow. because shout out to y'all. Love y'all. Now, look, with that being said, the next thing you're going to be hearing is the interview that I had with Tamara Fields. Tamara, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. I appreciate uh, being on. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no problem. Look, now, for those of us who don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Of course. I'm just a Texas girl born and raised in Austin, Texas, which I All feel right like... Now is a unicorn <laughs> how Austin has grown. but yeah I'm, I'm from Austin Texas and uh, I currently work for Accenture um, our, I am our um, Austin office uh, managing director so I'm responsible for our Austin office and I'm also uh, a key executive and managing director in our health and um, public service practice um, and so that means I spend quite a lot of work uh, working with uh, nonprofits and higher education um, and uh, with, with states um, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, so I am a Longhorn to all those proud Longhorns out there. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, probably my, my quick summary on myself. Well, you know, I got to go ahead and give you some air horns for all of that because that's an amazing profile. <laughs> oh, I like the air horns. Can we have more? I got way more sound effects. I was trying to see. This is this what I'm trying to do. So as a side note, Tamara. So, you know, I got this case. Living Corp been around for a little over a year. And we add sound effects on the back end 
But what I'm trying to do, we got a soundboard now. So I'm over here trying to try to, you know, mix it up, add a little pizzazz. I was telling Rod that the last interview, you know, just kind of, you know, try a few different things out. So, you know, you may hear a few different things as they are appropriate in this conversation. Okay. Well, appropriate is always very important. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Timing and is I everything. Be, I will not be alarmed by your sounds, right? Because <laughs> I believe in disruptive innovation. So let's see what we can do. Oh, look at you. Look at you flexing. <laughs> I see you now. Okay. All right. All right. Now I'm, now I'm activated. I appreciate that. So <laughs> you've been in the same company. You've been in Accenture for over 20 years. Two, two, two sets of 10. Yeah, are, are you trying to make me feel old? What exactly? <laughs> yes, yes. Two sets of ten. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, well, though the reason I bring it up not to make you feel old. Can we talk a little bit about your journey? Um, and yeah, what it's looked right. like for you not just to survive but thrive in consulting, right? Because I've I've seen um, in my experience in consulting and outside of consulting, uh, black professionals, black and brown professionals, a lot of times they will get right up to either that manager or senior manager level and just kind of stay there um, for a while. And so it's rare that I've seen in my experience, many of us break into like the true executive level leadership. And so, you know, it just seems like such a hyper political space. I'm, I'd love just to hear about what your path has been. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's I think it's very interesting. I mean, I think um, one of the very first reasons why I came to work for Accenture, which at the time was Anderson Consulting when I graduated, uh, was because I, I, I saw people who looked like me. It's really that simple. I initially had a marketing background, so it wasn't um, even in the technology space at all or the consulting space. I wasn't focused on that. And one of my friends signed me up and I went to an interview. And as I was going through the interview process, I started to run into individuals and greeters that they had there and a couple of people who were friends of mine who had graduated a couple of years before were like come on Tamara come try this out so I did and it's been interesting to me because I think that 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 aspect um, is what's really helped my career. I think, you know, um, consulting can be intimidating. There's a lot of work associated with it. You're always having to spend time to stay up on trends and skills and capabilities and technology. And you're always in learning mode at the same time as you're guiding your clients. Um, But what I found most intriguing about it is the fact that it's not a product. It's about people and it's a team-based activity. And I think um, for me, that was important because I like connection with people. And so I think what's really helped me navigate my career, to be honest with you, has been relationships, right? Um, It's a diverse world. um, And I think you have a lot of opportunity to own your path and own your career. But you have to do that with having the right people with the right opportunities with your right skill set. And those three things have to match up. And early in my career, I didn't really understand that. I thought if you just worked hard, surely you're going to get patted on the back and get promoted. Right. Um, So very quickly, you realize that's not the case. And so I really had to learn a couple of key points that I'll share. One is advocacy um, is important. Right. And, and, And understanding your contribution and what you bring to the table and be able to articulate that, not in a boastful way, but in, in a way that helps everybody understand the work that you're performing, and how you're contributing that. That's important. And that was anti to my culture and my world. Right. I was mm. raised in a very in a background that believed in servant leadership. You know, if you do a good job, that's good enough. Right. right, right. <laughs> and so It was really hard for me to advocate 
and really to tell my story and be able to represent my story. I think the second thing that was important is you need um, relationships at all levels, those who work for you at your level and above you and understanding the ecosystem that you work in, the organization structure that you work in and understanding the key players in that are important. And you need to take the time to understand where you work, how you work, who you're working with. You need to understand how they contribute um, and leverage that network. And I know people utilize network um, very freely, but it's exceptionally important. And then the third is really around sponsorship, right? Like you have to have sponsors um, or a key sponsor. And that sponsor is only a sponsor if they are uh, well positioned in the company to be able to advocate on your behalf. So that goes back to that first statement of advocacy. And so I had to learn how to navigate that. And I had to learn how to navigate that with individuals who didn't look like me, right? Because mm-hmm. when I first came into the company, um, there weren't a lot of African-American females. And and even now, right, that's something that we're committed to. And I'm really thankful to work for a company that's committed to inclusion and diversity. But overall, in the technology space, um, the percentages of African-Americans or Hispanics or women, right, that's still a number that has to grow, right? right. Um, and so the reality of that means I have to have mentors and and, and and sponsors who may not be my makeup, um, but they're still committed to my success. And I had to learn how to get past my own unconscious bias to reach out and to leverage them and leverage those relationships and telling my story to navigate my career to success. Um, and that was hard for me on multiple levels. One, because we all suffer from imposter syndrome at some time. We all doubt ourselves. I wasn't used to talking about myself in that way, um, learning how to establish relationships differently, at different levels and in different ways. And so I, I really had to embrace that in order for me to see, um, you know, my career path grow. Wow. So look, you know, it's been a theme, right? I've been talking to y'all. I'm going to say y'all I'm talking about y'all Accenture MDs. And so I keep on dropping this, this flex bomb, but I got to do it again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Cause golly, you dropping real stuff, but you know, and <laughs> jokes aside, like, it all boils down to um, vulnerability and that's hard, right? So hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to practice vulnerability with folks that look like you, let alone folks that don't look like you, especially if you've been burned a couple times by some of those folks who don't look like you, then it's like, well, dang, okay. Not only, not only am I feelings kind of hurt, I also need to figure out a way to preserve myself. So what does it look like for me to just exist here? You know what I mean? So I, I definitely understand 100% agree with every point you made. Um, and I just, you know, I just want to, <laughs> I really do. I really do appreciate you sharing those, those points because, um, it is true that a lot of times, like we, as I'll speak for myself because I, you, you point your point around servant leadership resonated with me. Um, that's definitely like my background as well. It's like the whole, just, okay, look, lead with humility, um, look out for those before you look out for yourself. And that framework, while I'm not saying it isn't, the, I, I still believe in it, but it's a it creates challenges in, a, in spaces where um, everyone is so very much so looking out for themselves. So what does it look like to practice servant leadership, but at the same time, um, tactfully, professionally, um, honestly advocate for yourself like those are that's a hard balance to find you know what I mean it is and I, I think what we think is sometimes they have to be mutually exclusive and that's not the case right, right? what right. I had to learn was so I, and I was actually coached on this and this was hard right I, I was very used to always saying we did this and we did this and mm. we did 
they what they really want to understand what did you do, Tamara, as part of this collective, um, you know, success or project that you are talking about? Because they they understand that you didn't deliver the project by yourself. <laughs> That's already <laughs> by your leadership, right? right? What they're trying to understand is what piece of the pie did you have, and how did you influence that? What ingredients did you add into that pie to help that pie taste wonderful, right? And mm. so. I had to learn how to use the word I, which was hard, and at the same time, use the word team. So I would have to say things like, you know, I directed the team to do this, and this is how the team executed this. Um, when we, I, you know, we set up this collaboration method or this design session, and, you know, I facilitated that, and the team really came up with some really innovative ideas. I helped the team work through how to deliver that. You know, I delivered these pieces of the effort, and I own this client relationship, um, and I helped the client interact with these team members in this way. But it was really about make sure, making sure that we clarified how I personally contribute and that at the same time also talk to the team objective so you can do both. And I don't and I think that's where people miss. Right. It's not to negate what the team does, but that team is working for you. They're helping you be high performing. Absolutely. Give them credit for that. And you need to definitely talk about that. But you're a part of that team. You're directing that team. You're providing leadership to that team. Those aspects of what you're doing shouldn't be ignored. And you can share that and still share um, in that team success because your success is the team success and vice versa. And so recognizing that fact, I think, was key in my ability to start understanding how to speak to how I contributed and how the team contributed and how we did it together. Hey, man. Come on now. You know what? And something else can we talk about for a second is because you talked about using the word I and like what it is you did. Can we talk a little bit about in terms of looking to progress and thrive in these corporate spaces as a leader, as a person of color? Um, as a, Let me be more specific. Because Side note. And we're going to get to this later in the questions. Tamara, does it ever annoy you when people use like the term person of color like as a catch-all as opposed to being more explicit and saying like black and brown it's okay it's i'm just curious that doesn't bother me so much i just think that what probably bothers me even more than that is i think that people should not be afraid to use terms Mm. right i am an african-american and if you're concerned about what to ask then ask me what my what my preferred term is and i'll care right because i think it's important to put out it's just in the same way that when people say i don't see color i don't understand what that means right because The reality is I am a person of color. I am an African-American. I am a woman, a woman. And I, I don't want to ignore these facts. They, right. they bring uniqueness to my personality, being a female, being African-American, being a Texan, being a UT grad. They're right. all just aspects and characteristics that I bring to the table that I think is unique. And that's what brings that innovation to the conversation. So you don't need to ignore it. And a lot of times if I'm presenting at an IED conference or any type of meeting, I will say that just right off the bat. Yeah. Because Sometimes you just need to take out the the concern, the tension, the fear around these conversation points. Right. Um, I think it goes back to being authentic. You know, early in my career, it was hard for me to fully embrace some of these topics courageously. Right. Um, and I and 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 I had to come to my own place of this is who I am at 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. 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 And I got to represent me. And if I'm going to be an authentic leader and I really think when I made that shift is when I actually started to see a lot more success a lot faster in my career because I fully embraced who I was. And that doesn't mean everybody has to like it, but they need to respect it. Come right. Um, yes. And understand what I bring to the table. And so I think it's really about the fact that you need to know who you are fully accept who you are, bring that fully all in from an authentic point of view. And you're going to have success when you do that. I love it. So 
I paused and asked you a side question before I got to my real question. So my real question is, can we talk a little bit about as a leader, why it's important uh, to make sure you're doing the right kind of work? And I, I share that because for me, uh, I'm, a, I'm a newer manager. I've been a manager hmm, like maybe two years or so. This is like my second year just being a manager. I was coming from another firm. Um, now I'm at a new firm um, as a manager and coming into this new firm, um, I've been I got the feedback that like, look, Zach, as a manager, as a leader, your job is not to, quote unquote, get things done. Your job is to actually lead the team. And so I know for me, I think just the way that I would maybe just my background, how I've been coached. I felt like there's always been a pressure to prove myself to show that I'm actually doing something as opposed to. Um, what does it look like to actually facilitate the team uh, and drive results through the team that I'm leading? Um, can we talk? Can you talk a little bit about like your journey and pivoting from being like a person who just got a lot of tasks done very well to really um, influencing and driving results for for a group of people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've had I think I've had two major what I would call um crossroad points where that occurred, right? So just like you, when when you, um, you know, make that point from consultant to manager, you, you're, you know, that, and those are terms we utilize in my Accenture consulting world. Um, it's that difference of you're part of the team and you're, you're doing the work to, you need to direct what the work and strategic vision needs to be. And you need to own that and direct the team and manage that and manage the deadlines, the deliverables, et cetera. And I think really what that is about is understanding that you can't do all things and you need to prioritize your time and be effective. Um, And it's hard for you to provide proper oversight um, to the team and manage the quality deliverables they're generating if you don't do that. Um, What really helped me is, um, you know, we have various trainings, right? And we talk about what it really means. What are the expectations of a manager versus a, a team member, right? And I think that a lot of times we get these promotions, we don't always spend the time um, to understand what are the requirements and the new expectations for that new role. And so the first thing I would tell people is you need to just be straight up with your boss. Help me understand what you expect. (laughs) What do you expect me to do? And when you start to write that down, then you got to think about how are you going to deliver that? And if you start to deliver that and you're at 80 hours a week, then you know somewhere there's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're absolutely Right. right. It's that practical at times, right? Um, the other thing I would say is you, you, I believe in this mentorship concept and, and having people above you who can see how you're working and what you're doing because sometimes we don't see. And you need to constantly be getting the 360 feedback, right? I believe in the 30-30, right? 30 days, 30 minutes, right? And you need to ask your leadership, right? Am I operating at the level you expect? Where do you see those changes? What do you want me to do less of and more of, right? And you need to be asking those questions on a regular basis so that you're learning through that. And then you need to observe those above you, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and how they're working, right? It's a natural inflection point that when you switch to leadership, you got to delegate more, you got to trust your team, um, and you got to be able to balance where you dig in and when you don't. And you need to have the time available to dig in on the real issues and ignore the rest. And you can't do that if you're not at that right level of ownership oversight and digging in right but if you're always in the weeds you can never see the you know you you know if you're always in the trees you can never see the forest right um and so you have to work on that strategic view 
the second inflection point, which was really a bigger one for me, was um, really when I switched to becoming a managing director. And um, what was interesting about that was not so much about the work, because as a senior manager at Accenture, you're already managing pretty large teams and pretty large efforts. And right. they did a good job in giving us trainings. We even have special inclusion diversity trainings for um, African-Americans and Hispanics. You know, we have, we're very committed to that. And so, you know, I felt like I had plenty of exposure and understanding and coaching and development and leadership training. Right. What I hadn't always understood is that soft skill change that has to happen as you move up the ladder, <laughs> right? Um, by nature, I'm very direct. Um, and, you know, how you have conversations at one level versus how you have to have the conversation when you are truly in charge, leading an entire portfolio or a set of work or a set of people shifts. And sometimes you do need to be more sensitive about how you share and communicate information, how you interact with individuals, because there's an expectation there of leadership that comes with that. And so, you know, when I first kind of made that transition, I was still somewhat operating in my previous, you know, oper- you know, um, method of operation. And I, I had a, um, a, a sponsor come set up a meeting with me and I didn't know I thought we were going to talk about this one thing. And he's like, hey, Tamara, I've noticed something. And what was good about that is we already had the relationship. Hmm. We already had the relationship, so he already knew he could set up the meeting. And and because we had the relationship and because he was one of my sponsors, he just really wants me to be successful. So And he knew, and because we had that established relationship, he knew he could have a direct conversation and say, hey, I, I don't think you handled this meeting correctly. You're now X. This is how I would have expected you to handle the meeting. You need to think about that. And it was it was really hard. It was really impacting, It was really, but it was right. And, yeah. and so it, it really helped me to make that soft skill adjustment um, that I didn't even realize needed to happen. And that and when you have the right people in your world and the right relationship with them, they're going to help you be successful in that way. No, I love it. And it, it goes right back to what you were saying at the top, right, about relationships and trust and vulnerability. Right. Like if you if there wasn't a focus or an opportunity for you, if there wasn't that time spent in the beginning building those. Um, and and practicing vulnerability and building those relationships, then you may not have had that conversation. That's exactly right. And I think that hurts a lot of people because um, vulnerability is important and you have to be willing to be humble. You have to be willing to be in a posture to receive constructive feedback. Um, And you have to have the kind of relationships where you're allowed and able to do that um, exchange. You know, I think that one thing people will say about me is honesty and authenticity matters to me at 100 percent. And I tell them from the get go, like, I want to know I can take it. I want to hear it. Help me understand. Help me to grow. Help me to be better, Um, because the reality is I don't know all the answers i don't know how to execute always in all ways in all positions right. and i don't <laughs> you um i need to still you should always be in a learning mode and you should always recognize there's someone to learn from and something to learn about absolutely so i think this is actually a really good transition point to my next question um you know in your um in your essence magazine feature you share a bit about how you've made it a part of your role to champion diversity. So, oh, yeah. okay. So now Tamara, so, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know me. I don't really know you like that, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm a pretty gregarious person. And as a part of that gregariousness comes an ability to build relationships and have a lot of real talk sessions with black and brown uh, senior leaders. Right. So I've spoken to quite a few of them and they're nervous about championing diversity because they don't want to be pegged as the black person whisperer or pigeonholed in a space that is like, okay, you know, you don't a space that is away from business. Um, 
Absolutely. And so, so what are your thoughts on, on that and how do you combat that perception? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair concern. And I think you always have to assess it for the company you're in. I, you know, for myself, let me just tell you straight out that I am passionate about inclusion, diversity, period. And it doesn't matter what everybody thinks about it or how they are, you know, if there's going to be a negative or positive perception. I think that you have to do what is right for you and what is your moral code. And I believe that I have that responsibility, right? I was the, you know, first African-American female to be an OMD, right? The first female to be an OMD. Yeah. Um, in, in the Austin office, right? I was one of the first black females to be promoted um, in Texas, even <laughs> into the managing director role. I absolutely have an op- a responsibility um, to represent and push IND um, so that other people can see me. And if I'm not out there, um, you know, uh, present for them to see, then they may not believe that that's an opportunity in this company. And I want them to know that it is, right? Because if I can get there, so can you. And so I just feel like I feel very passionate about that. However, I'm not blind to that concern right and so i think the difference for me is i am in the business right i'm still managing a large portion of our business i have a responsibility for a large um you know pnl revenue responsibility profitability responsibility um and i feel like i can do that job and still manage my career success and be committed to inclusion and diversity now I will say that it's easier for me because I work at a company that is committed to 9D, period, right? We were the first company to publish our numbers out there in the market um, in our space, and that was a pretty big deal. Um, so we we believe in it. We have accountability around it. Right. Um, we are, you know, uh, you know, I have a, a CEO um, for North America who is female, who's made a commitment to uh, gender, you know, uh, parity across our industry groups, right? Um, yeah. I in an industry group where we've already hit gender parity in health and public service within the U.S. and that and that's a big deal. Right. So this is not something they shy around, away from. They it's a part of our responsibilities as managing directors, right? We have accountability for it, um, and so I feel that. So I feel like I am in a position to champion something that's important to me, and at the same time deliver on the business. Um, but I think you got to do both. In the same token. Right. I have an IND role in my public service entity group um, because I want people to know that this is important to me and I feel I need to represent that conversation. Equally, however, I have just as many conversations about the business, my skill areas, um, around my clients, around technology trends. So people know me for an expert in so many different ways that I'm not just IND. That's never going to be the conversation for Tamara because Tamara has put herself out there around all innovation and um, back office and front office and mm. public service and got do you know what I mean? I do. So, my, my thing is, is you need to have more than just that dialogue. Um, you need to have multiple dialogues. Absolutely. But you can do that. Incidentally, though, there was a role that was offered to me um, that I chose to t- not take. That was a plus one role in IND um, because I said, you know what? We need to give that to someone else because I'm going to be doing IND no matter what. Right. right. I'm going to used to be the executive sponsor of special you know trainings and learnings i'm going to show up at the conferences i think i need to show up i will do that i will make the extra time in my schedule to do that because i'm passionate about it right. let's make sure other people are going down that path I, I wasn't interested in being an ind practitioner because that's not what i believe my role was i wanted to be a managing director in the business and i did that <laughs> come on um, now. And- 
And so now that I've done that, I see it as an opportunity to be a strong influencer about where we move in that space, how we move in that space, how we're successful in that space. And I can influence that on my teams and in every way and, and, and be courageous enough to have those conversations. And I believe have to be courageous about what's important because the reality is we don't have enough brown and black people, so to speak, in this space, <laughs> in technology. Right. I want to change that. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's the decision I made. I think you have to make personal decisions. But what I would challenge people is, you know, why would you want someone else's path to be harder or more difficult than your own path? You should want it to be better and easier. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I love your point around the fact that having multiple specialties, you know, not, not that you're going to be a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. But if you have a handful of things that you're very, very skilled at, because let's say you are passionate about IND um, and you're, and then you also have these other specialties. Well, then you can, you can then weave IND um, into what it is into your domain because IND is ultimately focused on making sure that everyone feels involved, included and empowered. And whatever you're talking about, especially in the tech space is going to involve people. So it's IND really isn't like sequestered over to something on the side. If you have a specialty, some type of depth of knowledge and something else, it's easy to then infuse that with IND. That's correct. I think that's right. And I think that you can have a huge impact on this space by just getting to a place of leadership, right? You have a huge impact on the conversations that's being had um, and, and making sure that, you know, the right decisions are being made and the right opportunities are being offered to all people. At the end of the day, what we believe in is inclusion, right? Um, you know, we have this um, uh, inclusion starts with I video that I absolutely love because it's not just about gender or ethnicity. It's about so many different aspects. It's about everyone having a voice at the table. And I think that's what's most important. Absolutely. And it's, a, again, a really good segue. So last year, you were featured on The Daily Texan, where you gave your perspective on gender equality. Now, yeah. taking a step back, what I often see, though, is when we look at we really do look at gender in like binary terms. Right? We don't we don't really consider race as an intersect uh, between in, in gender. And we don't often include trans identities in these discussions. What um, what is your perspective on how organizations can make conversations and examinations around gender more intersectional and inclusive. Oh, absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of employee resource groups. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have, uh, and so it's interesting that you say that, right? So again, it's about your, your personal choice to be involved, but um, I'm the co-lead for our United States Women Employee Resource Group for all of, all of um, North America, for all of the United States. Um, okay. And um, it's an awesome opportunity, right? Because it really gives me um, a a, um, a landscape to do so many different interesting things. And I have a a full team underneath me as the executive sponsor. And it's so interesting that you bring this up because this year we talked about what are the topics out there that we want to have, right? And one of them was around this concept of intersectionality with various groups and topics that don't come up. And interestingly... We just scheduled a woman of color um, uh, um, uh, voices of leadership uh, call um, in July. Right. And and I'm 
sit down with our North American Inclusion Diversity Lead, and we're going to talk about some of the metrics that we see about women of color um, in corporate America, and what does that mean, and and how do what what does that mean? How do we address um, some of the gaps that we see in corporate America? What are the key concerns that are impacting them that might be different from other groups, and what can we do about it? How do we help everybody be successful? And so I think it's really about leveraging your employee resource groups to bring the conversation to the table, whether you're doing that through a national kind of voices of leadership call or whether you're doing that individually in your cities because we're fortunate in that we also have employee resource groups at every city location um, and so we have them dial into the sessions. sometimes they host their own sessions we do leadership panels around these topics um, and we've done them around all of these dimensions that you're talking about um, and you know we have lgbq um, employee resource groups we have men we have military um, <laughs> we have and and people are really active in them and they're very important we do cross-pollination across our employee resource groups with our African-American one and our women one um, because we think that's important to have this dialogue and talk about what it means when you know there were some really interesting national scale stories going on last year that were impacting people um, and we will do calls on them (laughs) and they're People don't have to join in and we can talk about how are people feeling about that? What did it mean to come to work when that news story broke last night? How are you feeling? Right. Right. Um, But we think it's important to have courageous conversations and put that dialogue out there. And we do that through the employee resource groups so that when um, you recognize there's legal and HR concerns and you want to do that appropriately. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, um, But it's the right form because that's where the people are and that's where the conversation should occur. No, 100 percent. And to your point around, um, I believe I believe you're talking about some stories in are you allu- you're alluding to to death by police of black people and other like stories around this tragedy and loss regarding black and brown folks in the media. <laughs> Uh, like like Black Lives Matter or things around immigration, right? These are things mm-hmm. that impact um, certain cultures in a very strong way right. and impact, you know, how they feel about how they, because you, you can act like we can completely ignore that, but we bring our whole selves to work, right? We really um, do, yeah. And we know what people are dealing with in relationship to that. No different than when we talk about those who are having to provide elderly care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're the main provider for their children or, you know, they're dealing with sickness or illness, right? All of these matter. All of these things matter. And so we think it's important that those conversations be out there to deal with because that helps people cope. And that's important. It is. It's really important. And I think one thing I'm, and I'm really curious about, I'm certain that some organization um, is going to do some research and like make it like a formal report. But uh, there's a certain level of just emotional labor that goes into being a non uh, a member of the non-majority right in the workplace like there's you know, we've talked I've known like on the root and other articles in the past um, we've called it like calling in black and we kind of made it like a joke but it's also there's a lot of realness behind that in that just existing in some of these spaces um, existing as you are I'm um, seeing some of the things on the news um, ex- interacting in these spaces where you're one of few can be exhausting. And so I 100% agree that uh, that ERGs are a really strong help and then also having leadership that looks like you as a help. But I'm also really just, I'm personally curious, like just from a health perspective, uh, what the mental toll is for black and brown folks in the workplace. Because it's a, when you see some of these things in the media, um, folks that look like you or that, um, that remind you of a family member, remind you of yourself, 
I, I, that has to have some type of impact on you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that all of us have these additional plus one emotional labor situation, <laughs> emotional things. But right. I think, um, I think that for myself, right? Um, I, I feel like this has been our world before I even came into corporate America. Yeah. So I feel like right or wrong, people can think what they think about it. I believe this additional layer that you're speaking to, this additional burden, however you want to call it, um, that extra understanding that comes when you are the non-majority in a world. And I especially feel that in Austin because, uh, you know, African-Americans in Austin right now is like is like six percent. Right. 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 It's a very small percentage. Um, and so, you know, I always went to, you know, schools that did not look like me and I was the only one. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there and then the conflicts of that versus my weekend world with my family and my church that might be all majority African-American, for example. Um, I think that we always have that emotional toll. And, you know, just like anything, I leverage my family and, and my friends to manage against that. Right. And what I have to be careful with is to make sure I'm reading situations correctly and not putting something in there that isn't. And then sometimes that really is what I think it is and how to best navigate that with either courageous conversations or raising it up through the chain right and we have to do that and we can't be afraid to do that 100 percent. no 100 percent. um okay so i got a couple more questions for you this has actually gone really well i appreciate you um this is our one of our longer conversations in this series and this has been great um a large part of your role um, involves talent recruitment can you yes. can you share your predictions about what organizations will need to do will need to do to attract talent in the next 10 to 15 years? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, I think for one thing, if they haven't already, they should be spending time. There's a lot of new companies out there that consult around um, the new generations and what's important to them. So the millennial generation, Generation Z, Generation Y, um, and what's important to them and how they operate and how and, and how they make decisions around company culture. And we've already done a lot of adjustments and we're still doing that. I mean, we're we're pretty fortunate in that we're a consulting firm. So it's our nature to disrupt and understand trends for the future. Right. We do that with fewer trends and our technology vision. But what we have found, and we've already gotten, I've gotten a lot of training around this already, um, but some of the ideologies, for example, of a millennial generation is very different than a baby boomer generation or even a generation X. And so people need to spend time in understanding that. So for example, millennials are very civic um, oriented, right? Um, the percentage that they give to nonprofits rather than time or money is a lot higher, right? Um, sometimes they're more concerned with short-term versus long-term benefits. So example, in the past, right, if you were talking to a baby boomer generation, you would have spent a lot of time talking about pensions or talking about retirement and um, profit sharing or matching and all those things. Those same type of conversations don't immediately appeal to millennials. They really want to understand how they're going to how they're going to be valued, how they're going to move through the organization. They also want to know how the organization is giving back. They want to understand the corporate culture of the organization. Um, and that's new, right? In the past, you didn't really spend so much time talking about corporate culture, cor cult culture fit or culture ad, right? But these are terminologies that are going to be utilized today. And so, you know, that organization has to spend time figuring out what is their culture and what is the key messaging that they're presenting in that um, so that people can make an interpretation on whether or not that's a good fit for them. Um, you know, they're going to want to see that that company is moving and changing uh, with the world. Um, you know, I think uh, when we presented as part of a couple of years back, um, our technology vision that every company was a digital company, people were like, what? What are you talking about? Right. But the reality <laughs> is 
today, I think everybody understands every company. It doesn't matter who you are and what you're doing from oil and gas to higher education. Um, you're digital, right? Because people interact today from a digital point of view and in every regard from payroll <laughs> to, you know, those who are in the service industry to those who are not. Right. And so you have to have uh, a presence socially. You have to have a presence from a web perspective. You have to have an internal presence for how you communicate chat with individuals. So every aspect matters. And so companies have to understand that they're going to have to take a strong perspective on their work schedule and, and their flex schedules. Um, you know, the, you know, we we have fully embraced truly human at Accenture. And I think that that's important. Right. It's important for us to have flex schedules. It's important for us to have paternity leave. It's important that we have, you know, um, extended long maternity leave considerations. These things matter to the millennial generation. And they ask um, they want to know as a, as a company, what are we sponsoring at a national level from a corporate citizen perspective? What are we doing on a local level um, from a corporate citizenship perspective? Um, they want to understand how you're going to train them and, and keep them up to date on skills. And so what are you offering around that? So I think like companies today have to be exceptionally dynamic. Um, they're going to have to spend time um, leveraging um, profiles. And again, what's going to be a good profile that would fit and learn and do well in their environment? You're already seeing that with artificial intelligence. Um, you're already seeing people trying to leverage AI as a way to do screenings initially on what is the right um, uh, candidate pool for a company. Um, so they have to adapt digitally, um, right? Because it's already starting and that's going to be the path longer term, right? Right. right. Um, so just in having a really strong, you know, recruitment cycle for where they're pulling in and how it goes through that automated process, the time frame by which people get through the cycle has to be faster um, because people aren't going to wait. And the market is really demanding right now um, where they're going to concentrate on from a higher institution. Um, what's the type of profile? So, you know, I think today companies really have to be on it. It's, it's really competitive and it's really hard. Um, but my recommendation is they need to spend some time at first just studying who it is they're hiring. Um, the largest work generation today is the millennial generation already. Right. Um, and so they need to understand that profile. All right. Now, companies, y'all here in Tamara talking to y'all. OK, <laughs> we gave this to y'all for free. Y'all going to be out here trying to get everything. Y'all going to be out here thinking y'all's company all set up. You know that y'all got everything going on. Y'all got the latest and greatest, uh, you know, DOS computer. And, and the, the us millennials, we looking at you like <laughs> you need to pay attention. That's all I'm trying to say. Tamara, this has been great. Uh, this has been great. My heartfelt thanks goes to you for just being here. Um, oh, you. Thank you for allowing me to have my voice out there on stuff that I'm really passionate about. I really appreciate that. Oh, no, no, no. This is dope. And I know the people, we, they're going to love this. Uh, before we go, and you've been dropping jewels this entire conversation. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I want to just give you one more one more spot to wax poetic if you need to. Any parting words or shout outs? Yeah, you know what I would tell y'all out there um, is to be you and be and fully accept who you are and spend some time knowing who you are. You know, early in my career, I spent so much time on my insecurities and I allowed that to direct my actions, my communication, my lack of communication with people. If people didn't invite me to lunch, I just sat there depressed versus being like, hey, do you want to go to lunch with me? Right. And a lot of that centered around imposter syndrome and, and being uncomfortable in the space because it didn't look like me and with people who didn't look like me when I I really embraced who I was, who I was proud of who I am and what I represent and really understood what I brought to the table. And then I recognized I can control that dialogue. I can control the stories that are out there about me. And I want to own those stories. Um, and that, you know, 
fully embrace you. Be your authentic self and bring all of you from your hair to your clothes, into the environment, into the story, into the conversation, um, and do that unapologetically at the same time with a spirit of humility um, and respect. Tamara, this has been incredible. Um, We consider you a friend of the show. Again, we thank you for your time and uh, we hope to have you back. I would love to come back. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.